Hi folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. I think we can all agree that there is no one single way, not even one best way to study the Bible. Scripture is just so complex. The Bible is such a long document. It contains historical facts and timelines. It contains poetry. It contains songs. It contains prophecy about the future. It contains wisdom literature to guide our common sense day-to-day living that it's hard to find a single best or an only way to effectively study the Bible. The Bible weaves this one continuous story, and it does so across thousands of years, thousands of pages, written by dozens of different authors, translated into multiple languages. So it's just this beautiful, complex manuscript. We need to love it. We need to dive into it. We need to understand it. But there's more than one way to do it. I want to talk about a way to do it today, which is really producing some pretty valuable insights and fruit, I think, for some folks. Now, reading the Bible cover to cover is fantastic. I think at some point in their lives, every Christian should read the Bible from the very first sentence to the very last sentence straight through multiple times. There's a lot of value because, again, there's one continuous story that's being told from the beginning to the end. But you know, the truth is, if I had a nickel for every time somebody started, say in January, to read the Bible through, and then they tell me they get bogged down, and some of them say, oh, I got bogged down right between Numbers and Leviticus. So many folks tell me, I got bogged down in the Old Testament and Chronicles. It just seems like it's already repeating what I've already read. And the list of names of who begot who just becomes unbearable. If I had a nickel for every time somebody had told me that they honestly, truly tried to read the Bible cover to cover and got bogged down, I'd be somewhere wrapping money right now as opposed to recording a podcast. So I understand, again, if you've not read the Bible cover to cover, I really think it's something you need to endeavor to do. It's probably best to get a plan. There are plans on the internet. How do I read the Bible in a year? How do I read the Bible in an 18-month period? And it'll give you, here's the books, the chapters, the verses that you need to read in order to do that. Do it with another person. Do it with a Sunday school or a small group Bible study class at your church. But there are other ways that we can get great value out of the scriptures. One way is just you take a concept, faith, love, baptism, heaven or hell or sin or forgiveness, You take a concept, a word that's common, that's popular, that's necessary in Christianity, and you just read everything about it. You go and say, what does the Bible say about faith? And you read the verses, and one of the things you're looking for is, how does the Bible define it? The Bible will define words like faith and belief and forgiveness and grace, etc. So how does the Bible define faith? How does the Bible define grace? What does it say about grace? And you take notes that span multiple different books in the Bible that have to do with a single topic. And it really builds up your knowledge. It really builds up your strength on very important topics, again, such as faith, such as grace, such as forgiveness or justification, such as baptism or heaven, etc. Another very common approach is you pick a passage of Scripture and you read it and you say, what do these verses say about God? And if I believe God, then what are these verses saying about me? And again, you just take a section of, you do it alone, you can do it in a group. You take a section of scripture, you read that scripture, and then you say, 
What does this say about God and what does this say about me? The method I actually want to discuss real quick in this podcast is a similar approach to that. Bible college folks, they speak about the difference in indicatives and imperatives in the Bible. We don't have to get into big Bible college words, but one basically is telling you, this is who God has made you. This is what God has done for you. And through what he's done, through Christ, this is who God has made you. The other is saying, this is what God is asking you to do in response to what he's done for you. And so an incredibly powerful way to study the Bible is to take Scripture. And again, it's it's useful to do it with another person. It's very, very useful to do it, not just reading it, but actually taking notes. I'll tell you why in a second. But take notes from Scripture and say, in this passage of Scripture, who did it say God is? How does it define God? Number two, what does it say that God has done for me? And who has this made me? What has God done? And what have I become? Not through my own power or initiative. That's the third part. The second part is God has made me into something different through his power, through his own doing. And then the third part is, and what should my response be given how Given who God is and given how God has worked in my life to change me, what should my response be to God in that regard? John tells us in his first letter, the fourth chapter of the letter of 1 John, the very sort of back of the Bible, John tells us that it's difficult to build a relationship, maintain a relationship, change in a relationship based only on fear, fear of punishment can put guardrails up on our behavior, but unfortunately, sometimes, though we may not be behaving in a certain way, we resent the guardrails, we resent the threat of the punishment. And so John, in his letter, he really talks about if we really want to behave in a relationship, if we want this to be a two-way, healthy, growing relationship, it needs to be based on love, and it needs to be based on other people giving to me and me giving back to other people. And so John speaks about our relationship with God through Christ in this way in 1 John chapter 4. Let me read a couple of verses there and use it as an example of the type of study that I'm speaking about here. 1 John chapter 4 verses 16 through 21 say this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So if we were to sit down with just those few verses and take some notes, and we said, 
What's an attribute about God? How is God described here? Well, the first thing that jumps out to me is God is love. It states it very clearly here. Verse 16, God is love. What has God done for me? How have I been changed because of God's actions on my behalf? Well, this says God abides in me. That God loved me first, which is why I'm capable of loving in the first place. God is love, and He loved me first. He abides in me, and He casts out my fear of punishment and gives me confidence for the day of judgment. That's amazing. So, if I read other books, other letters, if I go through the Old or especially the New Testament, God will be described in so many different ways. Sometimes as a judge, sometimes as that who rewards, sometimes as Father, even as Abba Father. Here, God is described as love. And so if I'm building my list of what does the Bible teach me about who God is, one of the things that will end up on my list as I study the Bible with this method is God is love. What has God done for me? Not what I've earned, not what I've done in response. Well, He abides in me. He loved me first and taught me about love. And God casts out my fear of punishment and gives me confidence for the day of judgment. Nothing I could do could give me confidence for the day of judgment. Only God could do that through Jesus Christ, and He has. And so now... I am a loved, confident person. I am a loved, confident creation of God, who is ultimate love himself. So just in a few short verses, in a one tiny letter at the very back of the Bible, we've, we've uncovered some powerful information about who we are and who God has transformed us into. So then the next question, the third question, of course, is, then what is my response. And the main thing we get from this is that whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have to love our brothers and sisters. And the word here, the biblical word here for love is to make a conscious decision to want what is best for them, to be willing to act on their behalf, even when our emotions and feelings are aren't there. We need to be able to act on the behalf of those around us, especially brothers and sisters in our family and in our church family. And we need to love them unselfishly. Why would I want to do that? Those people have never done anything for me. Maybe those people will never do anything for me. Even if I love them, even if I sacrifice time or effort for them, they're not going to appreciate it. They're not going to say thank you. They're not going to return it to me. But this study of, again, just a few short scriptures and one letter in the Bible, this study tells me that's not my motivation for doing it. My motivation is God is love. And God has cleared me up for the day of judgment to the point that I not only don't fear punishment anymore, but I'm actually confident for the day of judgment. God did that for me. Only God could do that for me. What does God say in return? What should your response be? Love your brothers and sisters, even if they don't love you, even if they don't appreciate it, even if they don't reciprocate. And so we get a totally different feel. I can give you an example from the Old Testament. As Christians, we spend most of our time probably reading and studying in the New Testament, but this would certainly apply. I'm going to go to the ultimate classic here. 
that they talk about again in a, in a Bible college setting, for example. If we go to Exodus chapter 20, and many will know that in Exodus chapter 20 is the first time of the two times they're listed, is the first time that the Ten Commandments show up in the Bible. But listen to how Exodus chapter 20 starts. I'm just going to read the first three verses, which includes just the first of the Ten Commandments. It says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. That word Lord, as Moses originally wrote it in Hebrew, is the word Yahweh. So, and God spoke all these things, saying, I am Yahweh, your God. Yahweh means the self-existing, self-contained, all-powerful entity. So, I am the self-existing, self-contained Yahweh. I am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Period. Next sentence. You shall have no other gods before me. And then nine other rules are listed after that. Okay, you see how reading this text with this Bible study method radically changes what we see. Normally, we just see the Ten Commandments. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. But this is saying, Bible study method, question one. What does this say about God? Who is God? Well, God is the Lord. He's this eternal, sovereign ruler. And he's God. God means he's not just an e- Lord. God means he's not just the eternal sovereign ruler, but he's the ruler of my life. I'm Yahweh. I'm the eternal sovereign ruler, and I'm your God. I'm the one in charge of your So who is God? God's this eternally self-existent entity, God, that runs my life. That's what it said God is. What had God done for the people that he was having Moses write to here. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who were these individuals based on what God had done for them that they couldn't do for themselves? In a word, they were free. They were free from captivity because of what God had done. I am the Lord your God. That's what it says about me. What have I done for you? freed you from captivity that you were hopeless to free yourself from. What is your response to be? Follow the Ten Commandments that are now listed in the next few verses. Verses 3 to 17. That should be your response. And when you read it that way, it's different than, oh, here's the rules I have to follow. If I don't follow them, then God's going to be mad and I'm going to get punished. No, God is going, that's not how I want to set this up. I want you to understand who I am. I'm in charge. I've always been in charge. And I'm in charge of your life. I am. Here's what I've already done for you before I even ask you to make a response to me. Here's what I've already done. Rescued you from captivity and set you free in the most powerful and miraculous way that you could possibly have imagined. And as you stand awestruck at my power, and as you just revel in glory, in your newfound freedom from captivity, this is how you should respond. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Don't lie. Don't cuss. Don't steal. 
So some folks have asked me, should I start in Genesis 1 doing this? Should I start any place you want to start in the scripture using this Bible method? I think is fine. If you are new to this and you've not really studied the Bible in a way before where you've sat down with another person or you've taken a notebook and actually written notes so that you can compare. Okay, I've been studying the Bible now for three months. Let me compile all the things in a single document about who the Bible says God is. Let me compile all the things that it says God has done for me and God has made of me. Let me compile all the ways that it says I should respond to God. If you've not done that, then I would honestly suggest that you start in the New Testament. And maybe really, if you're not even familiar with the New Testament, maybe start with just a few books. I'll recommend use Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You can go to the table of contents in your Bible and find those. New Testament books, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Go through just those three books if you're not familiar, if you're not comfortable with doing this, and see what kind of power you can get. Otherwise, start at the beginning of the New Testament or read any book in the New Testament. It doesn't necessarily have to be in any particular order. If you pick up Scripture and you pray to God, enlighten me through your word, Spirit, convict me through your word, and then you read any book in the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, whatever, Romans, you read a book and you answer these questions. Who is God? What has God done for me? What has God made of me already? What is my response to being this new creature that God has made me? You'll learn, you'll grow. Here's just some examples. As I've done this type of a process, I get to Philippians chapter two, and I, I always think Jesus died for me and Jesus died for me. But Paul says in Philippians chapter two, it's even more than that. Jesus left the glory of heaven. Jesus is God. Jesus was being worshiped in heaven. But Paul says in Philippians two that he gave up. He didn't consider holding on to every privilege that God deserves. He gave that up to come and walk among me up to the point of even dying on a cross. And it does change. It broadens your perspective. Wow, Jesus didn't just die for me, but he actually gave up heaven before he ever even got here to be misunderstood in a brutal and confused world. Anyway, I learned from things, places like Romans 8, the Gospel of John chapter 1, Galatians 3 and 4, I learned that I'm an adopted child of God. That's in so many places in the Bible because as we study the Bible, God wants that idea that we are adopted children of His. God wants that idea that we now belong to His family to come up over and over and over. And so I learned that I'm an adopted child of God. I didn't do the adoption myself. God has adopted me through His grace into his family through my faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I learn in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, that I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's not a command that Jesus gives us. Go and try really hard to be. No, Jesus says, this is who you will be as my followers. The world has one hope, and the one hope is Jesus Christ and the Christian church, and you now as a member of that body, you are the salt and the light of the earth. Wow, when you read that and you take that in, that's a staggering claim Jesus is saying. This nobody person living in this nothing city is part of the salt and the light 
that's needed to preserve and save and cleanse the world. And then, of course, the Bible is full of, and how should I respond? Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 25, I need to respond in service and love and witnessing to others without showing any prejudice, without getting tired of doing it, without looking for people to give back to me if I give to them. So again, there's so many powerful lessons we take from Scripture. And as we begin to compile those lessons from just these three questions in just some New Testament books, we get a powerful image of just how incredible God is, of just how much God has done for us as we read it and write it down and discuss it. It just flows and fills our veins. How much God has done for us. And then when we say, how is God asking me to respond? We're eager to do it. We've come to understand in a much more deep way who we have been made by God. And now we are eager to say, how should I respond? Explain it to me and help me to go do it. I hope if you use this Bible study method that you find it beneficial and that you find it powerful. I will be praying for those who search into the scriptures in this way as we go forward. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.